WGNS Murfreesboro, the Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is a WGNS Action Line with Scott Walker, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. J.C. Bowman is with us today from the Professional Educators of Tennessee. J.C., how are you? Doing great. How are you doing, Scott? I'm good. You have had a busy last couple of weeks, last couple of months, I would say last couple of years, really. There's no shortage of fun here in education. Man, education has changed, it seems, so much over the last 10 to 20 years. I mean, just the way kids are even. Oh, yeah. You you can't script this. I mean, if you would have predicted what was going on, you would have thought I was writing some future novel. Even in Nashville, there was a situation that came up really over the last couple of weeks, but we were talking off the air about it's a situation that's been brewing for several years, and that is a bus stop directly in front of a store that sells adult adult novelty items and books, magazines, videos. Oh, yeah. And, and so, you know, I mean, think about this. Uh, Fox News first did that report in 2016, brought that to the attention of the school board. And uh, they continued. The parents down there are saying, look, give us somewhere else to park. They can't move the kids further down the road because it's on a busy interstate. I mean, there's an exchange that's on Dickerson Pike. They're saying, look, you know, move it somewhere, pick them up closer to our house. And, and they won't do it. The kids have to walk, actually, to get to it. I mean, the parents are going down there with them. It's wild, really, just the state of society that we live in today. It's just so different. Yeah, and uh, think about this. Not just here, but that's, it's everywhere. It's, it's a bureaucratic, I call it a bureaucratic nightmare. It's the bureaucracy doesn't listen. Many of these bureaucrats really fail to have uh you know they don't it's it's like they lack empathy they don't understand i mean they wouldn't put their own kid in there when you talk to lawmakers who are from all over the state of tennessee do they seem like they have a different mindset today versus five years ten years ago yeah i think in the past i think you see some people that are going like hey we can do something about this and and now it's kind of like well that's just another thing to add to the list of things we have to do and I mean, there's some that get really energized and try to do things, but their list keeps getting longer and longer and longer, you know, and they get frustrated themselves. I mean, they they run against it. I mean, a state legislator can call and say, hey, I need this done or I need this fixed. And and a school superintendent is like, sure, I'm not going to do that. I mean, they just ignore them. I mean, there's no compliance wing at the State Department of Education. You know, years ago, it, it used to be where if somebody was concerned about an issue and at the local level, they couldn't get it fixed, couldn't get it resolved, they would call their elected state representative, state senator, and that senator would then go visit whatever office the problem was at, have a nice conversation, and it would seem like things got resolved. But today... In today's times, it's almost as if folks at one office, they just flat out refuse to listen to those in another office. Or if it's an elected official coming to talk to them, they just flat out don't care. Yeah, they figured out where's the consequence in it. You know, it's it's antecedent behavior consequence. If there's, you know, they don't care what caused it. They don't care their behavior can be whatever. I mean, you see elected officials act, I mean, you know, sometimes very poorly. Uh, then there's no consequence for them. I mean, we've we've had, and I'm going to be honest, Scott, we've had a commissioner of education that checked out two years ago, and uh, she's finally stepped down. But for two years, basically, she was out of state more than she was in state. So would you look at, let's say, schools across the state, not any particular county or anything, but is there a level of apathy there, or is it a level of laziness? Ah, wow, that's a that's a tough one. I think that sometimes I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a lack of knowledge on how to go about getting things done. I think there's a uh, level of bureaucracy that is in there of people who are career bureaucrats who just simply don't care. There's again, who's going to root them out? And uh, I mean, you, you've seen here in, in, in some counties, I mean, you know, I don't want to name it, but you see constant turnover and uh, you, you see a lot of that. And people just don't 
don't care. And I think it's 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 and it's and it's the not caring it seems to be on the bureaucratic side much more than it does to be on the parents. And I think parents tend to get upset sometimes on things that are trivial and things that really matter. They fail to really take action on. Again, J.C. Bowman with us today. He is the executive director of the Professional Educators of Tennessee. Now, let's focus a little bit more on Rutherford County. And you were telling me right before the show, Rutherford County is, well, we're one of those areas where we just got really high marks in one category that really speak well, I think, for educators here. Yeah, I mean, Annie Casey Foundation, which has been doing this report for probably 30-something years, and they do it using state data. It's been consistent. And Rutherford County is the fourth best place in the state of Tennessee to live. Fourth best place to live. That that means child well-being here is, you know, top for sure. Oh, yeah, you got good health care. You've got... uh, exceptional uh, school. I mean, you do have good schools. I mean, you know, there's there's problems, obviously, uh, growth and, and and you see conflict, but there are some really good schools. Um, but the main the main obstacle I think everybody can re- relate to is it's um, the problem is housing. I mean, you know, affordable housing is going to be continue to be a problem here. And, and I mean, as you explode in growth and people being able to live here and afford to live here. So that's the number one finding that they that they deemed you on. Other than that, you're almost at the top of the state of places to live. You know, when it comes to housing, the cost of houses in Rutherford County, when you look back, let's say, to the early 2000s, well, I guess you could even go to the mid-2000s, you know, the, the start of 2019 even. The prices were significantly lower compared to the end of 2019. And those prices have changed greatly. Yeah, I mean, people from other states, we're a destination state. So people come here to live. And Rutherford County is smack dab in the middle of the state. It, it draws the location. It's, uh, in my opinion, I mean, it's, it's a, the, the it, uh, when people compare it to Nashville, I mean, you can go to Nashville if you have to. I mean, people that live in Davidson County, uh, speaking for myself, I mean, you know, I, I come to Rutherford County as much to shop as I do in, in Davidson County because I don't want to fight the traffic. The convenience of having I-840 and I-24 really help out a lot because there's been days where I had to get to Nashville for an appointment in downtown. And even though I know distance-wise, mileage-wise, it's longer for me to go down 840 than over to I-65 to get to downtown. But yet it's been probably 15 to 30 minutes quicker to go that route versus just going straight down I-24 because I don't think as many people use 840 yet. No, that's, that's true. And, and that was a very, very smart investment by some state government leaders. Now, in the school system that we have here, our schools have been growing by leaps and bounds, over 50,000 school students within the Rutherford County school system. And that is quickly placing us to that top of the list of having one of the largest school systems in the state. In fact, we do have one of the largest school systems in the state. Yeah, you're fourth largest right now in the state, and you've surpassed Hamilton County. And I think right now, if I'm not mistaken, I think you need to build three brand new schools right now. In fact, they did get the approval, of course, for land. They purchased land. The county did for another new school out towards the Blackman area. So that's the next new school is going to be in the Blackman area, which is one they've been talking about needing for years. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and it, it will continue to grow. I mean, I think MTSU uh, is on the cusp as well. I mean, it's also a great university uh, that's also fostered a lot of uh, the development. I mean, I've, I'm surprised a lot of folks haven't moved further uh, here, to be honest with you, you know, to Laverne, to Smyrna, uh, you know, to Murfreesboro proper. I mean, you know, you know, I'm surprised, you know, we haven't seen industry that have come here out of Nashville because it's just so much more convenient and honestly got a great workforce. But here's the problem. Teacher vacancies oh. and talking about building new schools. How are we going to fill all the positions that will be needed for new schools while also replacing teachers who are retiring? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Six percent. Basically, it's 5.5, 5.6% uh, schools basically had unfilled positions last year. 
So that's a that's a large number. Uh, teacher vacancy is a huge issue. Licensure is another issue that we still have to deal with. You're going to look at the state looking to simplify it. People will come here. I mean, you got people coming from California, from New York, uh, from other places to come here. And, uh, you know, we've got to figure out how to do licensure to allow people to, to bring their teachers to come here and so you're going to do those issues but you know you're, you're going to run a shortage i mean i know that there's positions that have been filled here for a long time after school's already started dr jimmy sullivan he now officially has one full year under his belt as the director of schools for rutherford county and one of the very first things that he did whenever he got that position and i thought it was interesting he immediately found an outside firm to do a study on our pay schedule and the salaries that teachers get actually make here in Rutherford County. That's the first thing right out of the box he did was he studied the salaries and what teachers get paid. Yeah, I mean, salaries are one one factor that people come for. But I'll be honest with you, the, the other one is, is work conditions. And t- people are looking for places to work. I mean, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. I mean, like uh, Putnam County has put in place child care centers in their schools. I mean, you got 82% of your teachers are female. So they're, they're a childbearing age for a lot of them. They're having children. They want to look at that. Job sharing is another thing that we're going to have to look into. Uh, I mean, you know, if you can keep people to teaching two or three times a week, allow them to stay home with their kids two or three times a week. Uh, so some of those things need to be considered. Uh, salary is not the only thing. Children, you know, we talk about discipline. That's been a constant thing that you and I have talked about. I mean, we've seen that, that, that uh, discipline is just out of control. And, and uh, I will say that Rutherford County has done a pretty good job. It's not one of the red, red hot areas that we've seen so, uh, as comparison to like Davidson or uh, – or some of the other ones, um, you know, Shelby County, but but where we've seen Rutherford County, but I, I will be on guard for that. But the work conditions, where the work conditions of the teacher are the learning conditions for the child. So we got to make sure we're dealing with discipline straight up. Safety is a big concern in pretty much every category of jobs out there across the state. I mean, if you work in a factory, you've got safety concerns if you work you know uh, let's say at a convenience store you've got safety concerns working the the midnight shift of getting robbed no matter what safety is a big issue in every job category oh it's a huge issue and that's that's the other thing you know you've got safety and i, I will give shane reeves and uh some credit for he was the person who really pushed for sros even though you already had sros your community that's another reason showing why you take value in children uh, you know, so you had SROs in schools already here, but that was one of the things that he championed uh, that got put in the governor's bill uh, money for SROs in schools. So that's one part of it. But the other part is general safety. I mean, you know, uh, we see teacher assaults going up. We've talked a little bit about that. There was one in Antioch recently, right? Yeah. Antioch, the guy got pepper sprayed. I mean, that made national news. And, and here was the interesting thing that didn't, never really came out. But that uh, that actually was a and a child over eighteen, so it was you know, I mean, so you know that if in fact that's to be believed, according to the the uh, internet, but the, the you know because the, we don't release children's names, and so we don't we don't do that. But uh, if in fact that child was eighteen and they are charged, they are going to be charged. They said they charged him with a misdemeanor for doing that. But I mean sprayed him and then sprayed him again while he was down on his knees uh that wasn't that was malicious and here's here's the problem uh that we see in davidson county assault you you define assault two different ways there's simple assault which i'm not quite certain what that means then there's aggravated aggravated assault means you assault people with the intent to hurt them well anytime you assault somebody i would assume you're intending to hurt them so aggravated assault gets you expelled from school whereas simple assault does not and so they keep these kids that if they file them with simple assault and they're not removed that's a real big issue it's scary to think let's say somebody listening their their husband their wife works as a teacher at a local school and they actually have to worry about their loved one going to work at a school as a teacher but in this day and age you do have to worry about that kind of stuff oh yeah there's no doubt and i think you see that our 
teachers are saying the same thing. You know, they're, you know, in and I will say in Rutherford County, it's not the case, but you know, like in Davidson County, I mean, and 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 I'll, I'll go one further. In Shelby County, I had a teacher tell me that literally they go to the bathroom before school starts. Uh, they go into their classroom and they stay there the rest of the day until the bell rings and the kids go home. And she's afraid to actually go into the hallways. If you're afraid to go in the hallways at a place that you work, you probably don't need to be doing that job. Again, our guest today, J.C. Bowman. He is the executive director of the Professional Educators of Tennessee. And we're talking about schools and school safety, school problems, school positives, just a little bit of everything under the sun. Here locally, and this happened, I mean, with within the past 30 days a child supposedly in middle school brought candy to school with them then shared that candy with about four other students and inside the candy were what people call magic mushrooms and next thing you know at least four children had to be taken to the hospital because they instantly became sick after ingesting those magical mushrooms yeah, and it's and parents. I mean, I can tell you another one that I mean, drugs when they're in the house, they're going to be readily accessible to kids, and so kids have that. So I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, you know, we we talked about gun safety, and I know that the, they're going to be a special session on that. At some point, the parents of that child probably need to be charged. The thing I'm wondering about, and, and we had a call about that story that I just told you about with the magic mushrooms and that happened at uh, Christiana middle school. But we had a call from, I believe it was a caregiver and and they were saying, you know, they're not going to say any names, but they were very upset about this because one of the students who went to the office to tell, Hey, this is what happened. That student who did the telling got suspended. At what point do you say things like this whole zero tolerance thing or, you know, no matter who comes forward with it, if you're involved in any way, shape or form, you're going to get the exact same punishment. It may be suspension, expulsion, whatever it is. But at what point do you say, well, we got to let common sense take over and we got to say this student was the one who was telling us what happened. They didn't know that they were ingesting magic mushrooms common sense is out the door and that's and that that is exactly right and i think they should appeal that and i think be factored into it as well i mean it it clearly you know at some point i mean that's we see it all the time on police you know the person who goes in you know you don't mean it's inadvertent you didn't know you know probably standard rule of thumb don't take something from somebody else but by the same token i mean they are kids i mean they're not going to make the right decision every time and, uh, you know, but I, I do think that the kid that brought that, I mean, I think that the parents need to be looked at and uh, why that was readily available to that child. I hate to say that, and I'm probably going to make somebody angry, but that's that's a fact that, that I mean, it, it, truth is that if it had been harmful and it had been something else, you know, fentanyl or something else, we could have really seen. I mean, we saw that in West Tennessee at Fayetteville High School, Fayetteville Ware High School, actually, where two children died. They were scheduled to graduate. They got fentanyl and they died. I mean, you know, again, took something from a kid brought in. And there's a lot to be said about learning a behavior at home. But something as simple as, well, I saw mom or dad eat this. Then afterwards, they were laughing and having the time of their life. So I can eat it, too. And I'm going to take it to school and share it with my friends. And there's, you know, the other side of it is a kid in middle school, 10, 11 years old, they don't fully understand or comprehend what's going on when mom and dad start giggling. And they seem happy as a lark because they just ate a chocolate candy bar. But the chocolate candy bar had magic mushrooms in it. Right. Yeah. No, as somebody that I, I coached a young man that uh, he had gone on to the high school, but he as a ninth grader, um, you know, he went in and he, he huffed uh, some paint or whatever it was that he uh, it was. Uh, it was actually uh, the uh, refrigerant uh, that he had huffed it. And uh, first time he did it, he died. And uh, so, you know, good kid, really good kid. And, uh, you know, and so but. 
that is that is there's repercussions sometimes and and you know you can't you can't anticipate everything you know we we talked about this as as grandparents i'm a grandparent and i i talked to my wife we we're watching the, the thing come across from fayette county we want to make sure our kids know do not take anything do not trade food with kids do not take food from them do not take any drugs that they may bring to you do bring a pill no aspirin nothing and uh, you know that's really uh, the bottom line, and we have to all re- reiterate that to all of our children. We used to live in a day and age where we could trust parents to bring cupcakes to the classroom whenever a student was having a birthday, and those cupcakes would be shared by all the students within the classroom. Is that kind of stuff even done today? Not often. Uh, we thought of the same thing. I mean, you can you can send stuff in, but. You know, normally now it has to be sealed and brought in and has to be, can I have peanut allergies? And, and there's other things. Some of them have to be gluten-free. I mean, you've got the whole gauntlet of things. It's probably now better not to do anything. Third grade retention. That, that's a topic that has come up over and over again during the last legislative session. Where does all that stand today well there's going to be a large number of kids to get retained so where we're seeing this at is when you say retain you mean they're going to fail basically yeah basically they're going to be retained so we're going to see i think that we we're we're just now getting data and looking at it and so um and uh one of the things that we're going to be noticing i think across the board there's three things that i'm really going to be looking into Uh, i want to look at what curriculum was used we saw kids that that did really well, probably higher than before. Uh, we're going to see kids that did really poorly, and they mi- and they missed some foundational skills, so they're going to be made to go to summer school. So that's going to be the thing. They'll get tutoring. Those are good things. I don't think those are necessarily bad things. Um, then the other part of the coin is you're going to see kids that uh, unparalleled levels that, be, uh, that are, in fact, retained. So you're going to have to sign up for your summer school, uh, they're going to have summer camps. They're going to come in and, and work with them on their reading. And then they're going to have to take a test, and they're going to have to show a 5% gain from where their test scores are in order to do better. So all the times that you've done these benchmark testing, which we've been advocates for, we have – now next year, this is a one-year anomaly because next year the um, – Benchmark testing, those can be factored into um, the the results, but this year they're not. And I, I think that that's poorly because that's why I think that the department rushed this legislation through too quickly. And even though it's been on the books, first off, third grade retention has been on the books since 2011. However, it was left at the discretion of the local school district. And then we tied it to uh, passage of the TCAP test, 10 ready. And um, and so now they have to pass this test, which is a one time test. And it doesn't matter what that kid has done all year long. If they do not do well on that one test, this is where we're at uh, in the future. Like I said, I think you're going to see the 10, the benchmark exams and I ready or Ames Web or whatever the benchmark is that they use the state test that aligns to it, that they'll be able to uh, factor that in along with the grades and see if they do it. Some kids just don't test well. Again with us, J.C. Bowman. He is the executive director of the Professional Educators of Tennessee. In places like Rutherford County, another hot button topic, depending on how some parents look at it or how some teachers look at it, another big item that came up was the ability for kids who are currently enrolled in school here locally to be able to all of a sudden transfer whatever classes they already have under their belt to an online version of a school that's not exactly under Rutherford County's umbrella. And they're able to finish out their high school year going into senior year online. What does all that look like? And are these good things? Are they bad things? What are they? It's hard to say. I know in Florida, one of the things that, and and I am a Tennessean and I, I spent some time in Florida. And one of the things that we ran into in Florida was a lot of kids uh, were acting, you know, a huge, huge group. You had athletes, teenage athletes and stuff like that. And they were ready to go on to college. They were ready to go do those things. So, so for them, they could, they could go ahead and complete their 
school and get started in whatever they were doing. So it became a, a real good outlet for them to take other options or some of them homeschooled and, and virtual school was just coming along at that time. So they were able to do that. So you saw a lot of academies. Uh, some people, when, when structured, they do well. Uh, discipline. I mean, some kids just don't do well in, in a structured environment. So they may be in, uh, online. But, but in general, most kids benefit from in-person in instruction. And that's why the whole, the whole deal with the COVID, you know, getting people back to school quickly was very important. Uh, because it, they, they benefit from it. The vast majority of kids do that. So it, it seems like during COVID, we saw a huge number of students who traditionally did very well in school all of a sudden start making Fs because they were not in the classroom every day because of these mandatory days they had to be out of school. Yeah, and you, you and then, of course, you've got some people that, that lack discipline and self-drive self, self to do stuff on their own. However, once prompted... They, they thrive. I mean, you know, hey, Johnny, we need to get your homework. Yes, ma'am. They'll do it. If they're not in the classroom, they don't have that teacher over them. But then the other problem is if they're at home, well, these days, most households, the mom and dad work or it's a single family household. So there's literally nobody at home to just oversee that they're actually sitting in front of the computer. Yeah, that was one of the things. Also, back to the well-being, children's well-being, we discovered in Tennessee about 37 percent come from single parent homes. And so that was a huge number. And uh, so as you as you look at that, that's exactly right. So. Nobody to check on the child, push the child to make sure the child gets through there. And, and I know we're saying child, but we're, it's a lot of times 12 to 18. Yeah. And so what do you think the big issue is going to be the next school season? Because we're wrapping up this one. In fact, graduation's already been held for, I think, pretty much most of the schools in Rutherford County for high school. So what are we going to see next school year? Wow, lots of stuff. You're going to see a big uh, emphasis on tutoring. You're going to see kids who are getting uh, uh, tutoring provided for them. You're going to see the continued shifting of of some curriculum things. We're going to, next year math is going to become the big focal point. Uh, so if reading scores went up, and and say your reading scores went up, let's look at math scores. Uh, nobody's spoken or talked about that lately. So math, there's going to be a big effort in the state legislature. We know uh, to focus in on math because the big the big goal at the end of the day can they read, write, and do arithmetic? Those are the three big objectives. And when they graduate as an employer, you want to make sure that those guys can come in and do that. And uh, so those are, we're going to go back and look at arithmetic. I think next year, and and uh, so you're going to see a big focus on math. What we've got to make sure that doesn't happen is that we don't go in for any fads, you know, and uh, there's some bad math programs out there as well. So we got to watch that. And math is a tough one because at some point there was almost a, a shift in, first of all, the way schools taught math and then a shift in the level of math that was taught. And I remember the math I took in middle school and into high school, it was not the level of what's being taught in today's schools, today, and maybe I say today, but maybe I really mean a year or two ago, the level of math that was taught, it was almost at the college level. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, my, my fourth grade grandson is, uh, is starting algebra. And in I mean, fourth you know, grade. In fourth grade, yeah. That used to be a eighth grade, ninth grade type thing that you would do. I mean, these are the things that we're looking at. Again, how fast, how hard, you know, do we want to do it? One of the things that we used to look at, and this is a just to think hypothetically out here, you were, were evaluating people based upon test scores. We're, ba we're evaluating school districts and school teachers and schools based upon test scores. So then you got these kids in fourth grade taking the advanced math courses when they're getting to high school. What are they taking? Yeah. And so, I mean, so they're not getting the results. So their scores aren't going to be as elevated as they once were. So, uh, you know, I, I think we need to take a real hard look at standardized testing. Do we continue? How much we continue of it? How important is it? Uh, one test. Uh, I, I used to say, look, it's just like your school picture. You go in, that's what you look like that day. It's not a big deal. Let's look at it and get a snapshot to see where you're at. Now it's like your life is dependent upon how you do on a test. 
And I don't think that's and, and we're using them for things we never intended for. We're evaluating teachers based on these results. We're, we're telling people schools are good or bad based upon results. And, and, and there's so many factors that go into it. I just don't. That's so true. And when it comes to test taking, there are a huge number of students who do horrible when it comes to that category of taking a test right there in the classroom in a 40 minute window, 45 minute window. They may fail miserably at it, but yet they may be some of the smartest, brightest kids in the entire school. But yet when it comes to that I don't know, is it, I guess that pressure of having to get it done right then and there, it changes the child. Oh, it does. And, and, I, and I'm actually the opposite. I actually do really well on tests. And, and it, it's an odd thing. My wife and I uh, uh, took, a, took a graduate exam at the same time, and she studied and studied. And my wife's way smarter than I am. And uh, she studied for it. I did nothing. I roll in, and I blew her away. And she, she was asking me what my, my goal was. I go, I go through the test. I answer everything I know. Everything else I don't know, I get it narrowed down to one or two things, and I put the best guess. And then what I don't, and then after that, what I don't know is like I'll kind of look at the pattern and I pick it. And it's just kind of a, uh, a a way. And I've always done really well on tests, and it's an odd odd thing. But uh, anytime I ever take tests, I mean, I scored really great on the ASVAB. I've done really great on my graduate exams. And and for 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 other people, they they get into taking tests and they get. They start looking at answers, and and, there, and some of these questions are so close, you know, like A and B can be basically the same answer, or or you can talk yourself into it or out of it, and you're debating it. Meanwhile, you're not taking that you you don't get the time to go down through the other ones, and you're rushing. So I think it's test taking and time. If it was untimed, I think kids would do much better. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point. I notice that kids who are extremely detailed oriented, who would make great doctors one day, they may be really bad when it comes to that 45 minute window they have to take a test in because they're so detail oriented that they are literally examining each and every question and then examining each and every answer before they even mark yes or no to it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And the other part that we've got to really weigh in on something if you take a written test, in general, you tend to do better than you tend to do online. However, there are kids who do better online than they do on the written test. So, so should you be given a preference to that? And, and that's, that's another thing. I mean, what, are, what is our end goal? We want to know what the kid knows. We want to see whether he's mastered whatever the standard is that we've tried to set up. And here's the standard. Here's what we've taught. We think this is valid. And, and that's the other thing. Our standards, we have way too many standards. Again, with us today from the Professional Educators of Tennessee, Executive Director J.C. Bowman. And we're pretty much already out of time. So if anybody has questions for you, they would like to contact you with ideas, thoughts, or get your thoughts on something going on in their school system, how can they do that? Yeah, so we're, we're online at www.proedtn.org. Uh, we've got contact forms. You can find me on Twitter. I'm a big Twitter guy, uh, at jcbowman.com, or at jcbowman. And uh, you can do that on, or, uh, you know, just send me a contact. I mean, you know, just reach out to me. You can call us, 615-778-0803. We're going to be back at June 7th on our conference. That's right. At June 7th at MTSU. MTSU. And uh, is that strictly for those who are already in the school system? Or if somebody listening who, let's say they're finishing up that degree at MTSU to be a teacher, can they come to the conference? That's actually who we want. We want to, we're doing a thing called lightening your load. We're trying to teach people to balance their work life balance. And so we've got, we've got a social psychologist coming in. Uh, we've got great uh, mental health folks. We, you know, our teachers, uh, they need a lot of mental health work. And I, I don't mean that to sound like, you know, it's doing this, but they need to figure out, you know, whether teaching is for them. They need to figure out how to balance that life out. It can't be all work and no play. They need to figure out their life because it's, it's very important. And it's important that they do their job and we get that, but they also have to take time for themselves. So we gotta, we're going to have a real frank, open discussion 
with uh, Dr. Shalmender Tawar, who's a world-renowned uh, social psychologist. He uh, brokered peace in the Middle East. He was a guy got his his uh, uh, knighted or whatever. He's from Great Britain, and uh, he's going to be here. And uh, a phenomenal guy. I need to bring him in one day with you. Definitely. So this conference, June the seventh, on the MTSU campus. If somebody listening wants to be a part of it, they need to sign up ahead of time. I assume. Yes. That would be helpful. It's at, it's at leaderutn.org. And uh, again, or you can find it on our website at proedtn.org. Uh, you can click the link, uh, go to LeaderU. Uh, and it's it's a great, great website and uh, uh, it's a phenomenal presentation. And, you know, we're, this may be one of the last ones we do. We're going to start focusing in a little more on our leaders. Uh, so we, we think we need to focus in more on those. But this is open college students, parents. Parents ought to come in and see what's going on on in their schools. Again with us today, J.C. Bowman, Executive Director of the Professional Educators of Tennessee. Do you suffer from peripheral neuropathy in your hands or feet, burning pain, balance problems, and a decreased quality of life? Magnolia Medical Center can help. This is Dr. David Morris with Magnolia Medical Center, across the street from the hospital and the Ascend Federal Credit Building. Online at magnoliamedicalcenters.com. If you have ever dreamed of relaxing by your very own koi pond, we can make that happen in Animal City. We carry a variety of products and livestock to make your dream come true. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City. Be sure to check out our downstairs level, complete with indoor pond and tons of furry cute critters. Animal City, your family-owned and operated pet store for 33 years. You can find us at Animal City at 919 Northwest Broad. This is Peter Demas inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas's Restaurant. With cold and flu season here, nothing helps my family more than having the Demas's baked chicken and rice soup. It was a soup that was created by my grandmother, and we not only sell it by the cup, but we also sell it by the quart, by the half gallon, and by the gallon. So stop by any time today and bring soup to your family that may be sick or a friend that's in sick, or just to enjoy it just because it tastes so good. Demas's Restaurant. The Commissioner Corner with Commissioner Craig Harris. Imagine a world where everything you say is judged by someone. Imagine living in a world where everything you say is gender neutral. Imagine a world where you're denied freedom of speech. Unfortunately, this has become a reality if we let political correctness get even worse. But what exactly is political correctness? Some people say that political correctness is being nice and treating others with respect. That this movement is essentially meant to acknowledge differences in race, age, religion, sex, appearance, and ability. But seriously, isn't that just manners? Political correctness has been undermining our everyday lives. It has affected our freedom of speech, common sense, and strong institutions such as our government and education. Political correctness is intended to silence our free speech. It has been infiltrating our community over many years and is often difficult to distinguish what damage it has caused. There are many examples of political correctness going to extremes. To list a few examples, such as Santa being banned for saying ho, 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 as it could offend to women, replacing brainstorming to thought showers as it could offend people with epilepsy, changing the term Easter eggs to spring spears in case it offended anyone who didn't celebrate Easter, and finally not being able to put the words reliable or hardworking in a job description as it could be offensive to unreliable and lazy people. Are you serious? And the list goes on and on. Political correctness dictates everything we say based on the offensiveness of the word or phrase. Straight away, this poses a problem. Who gets the massive power deciding what we say is offensive? Is it feeling offended in the hands of the receiver? After all, words are just words, and it is the receiver's choice to either ignore, respond, or react to the comment. We are all in control of our emotions, and we shouldn't blame someone else to how we feel. It is our responsibility to keep our state of consciousness in check. Though we do need to take care of what we say and who we say it to, political correctness has taken it to another level. Modern political correctness has affected our everyday lives. In today's world, middle-class values are incorrect, according to the PC movement. 
So are we saying that we shouldn't tell children that taking drugs and skipping school is bad? Furthermore, it is starting to affect our educational systems. Primary schools aren't allowed to say Christmas and Easter, and kindergartens are changing traditional nursery rhymes such as Baba Black Sheep to politically correct versions such as Baba Rainbow Sheep. Are you serious? Political correctness has gone too far and affected our everyday lives. Our freedom of speech and education systems are all under the wrath of the PC Brigade. The values that have built up our culture are being neglected and forgotten all because of political correctness. It is our responsibility as Americans to stand up against this idiotic movement and the idiots behind it. I'm sorry, is that politically correct? This is Craig Harris, and this is the Commissioner Corner. For the Commissioner Corner, that was County Commissioner Craig Harris. The views of Rutherford County Commissioner Craig Harris are just that, his views. They're not necessarily the views of this radio station, website, or our advertisers. Feel free to send your thoughts and ideas to Commissioner Harris by emailing him at ccotinc at comcast.net. That's C-C-O-T-I-N-C at Comcast.net. Does your home need freshening up? Let our family at Fair Construction help you. We do painting, new flooring, anything that you need. If you can dream it, Fair Construction can turn it into reality. Fair Construction offers high-quality craftsmanship, quick response, and attention to detail. For home restoration at a price you can afford, Fair Construction can get the job done no matter how big or small it is. I'm Ron Hall. Shop local. Let our family business help you. Fair Construction Company. On this next segment of the show, we'll talk about the upcoming Discovery Center's Secret Garden Party and Secret Garden Tours. The Discovery Center, that's the topic that comes your way in just a minute. Here's a question. What do you want from your electric co-op? I want expert advice on going 100% solar. I want to go green without breaking the bank. I want to meet my sustainability goals. I want solar to be simple. Done, 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 done. I want to save the planet. Little hero, let's start with one of MTE's solar programs first. Energy Service Life. That's Middle Tennessee Electric. We're here to get done what matters most to you. Learn more at MTE.com. On today's show, we're talking about the local Discovery Center and about an event that is coming up, actually two events, that will help raise funds for the local Discovery Center. Our guests today include Lindsay Jennings, Vice President of Philanthropy at the Discovery Center, and Candace Uris, Philanthropy Coordinator at the Discovery Center. And we are so excited to be here today. Lindsay, tell us about the actual Secret Garden Party and a little bit more about the Discovery Center's history. Of course. Um, So the Discovery Center is a hands-on children's museum that has been in the Rutherford County community since 1987. It was started by by parents, actually, Billy and Dr. Joe Little. Uh, Dr. Little is a pediatrician. Well, he's a retired pediatrician now in town. But they had this dream to start this children's museum. So it started at the uh, Discovery House on Maple Street. Now we're located at Murphy Spring, and we're seeing up to 130,000 guests a year. We do all kinds of outreach in our community, and we're just trying to inspire that next generation of learners through play and inspiring that curiosity in any way we can through our exhibits and our programming. Today, the Discovery Center sits on Northwest Broad Street at a location that also has history. The location of the Discovery Center today is the same location of where the Coca-Cola Bottling Company once stood. That's right, and we're so lucky to have that location because we do a lot of outdoor programming because we're located right on Murphy Spring, especially with our camps, with our field trips. We'll take kids down into, you know, we've got a, a creek back there and all kinds of, of neat ways to teach kids about our, our local habitat and all the, the different species that live in that area, like tadpoles, and we even have otters. They're adorable. And right now, if you go to the Discovery Center, we have a whole family of geese that are just living in our parking lot. So they're just a part of the family now. 
Again, we're talking with Candace Uris, Philanthropy Coordinator at the Discovery Center and Vice President of Philanthropy, Lindsay Jennings. Now, on the Friday, June 2nd Secret Garden Party event, you're going to have an auction that takes place and uh, I guess kind of highlight a couple of the things that are going to be auctioned off. Yes, we are. Our, our committee that's led by Kelly Goodman and Sarah Patterson have worked so hard to make this auction just the best ever, really. And a big thank you to Comus Montgomery. They'll be uh, the auctioneers for the live auction that night. But a few things that, of course, we're going to have great trips like a beach house, uh, a cabin on, in Rock Island. There's so many good things. <laughs> Those are just a few of them. But one thing that I'm really excited about is there are eight Title I schools within the Murfreesboro City School System, and not all those schools are are able to uh, provide field trips for their students. For instance, my daughter's at Mitchell Nielsen. A lot of those kids, like 90% or more, are on free and reduced lunch. Many of them are homeless. So we are trying to raise funds for every single second grader within those Title I schools to be able to come to the Discovery Center for free. So at the auction, we're gonna auction off every single school, and a person gets, and it's, it's about $750 to send an entire second grade. So we're hoping we'll get eight donors that'll give $750 so that every single second grader is going to be able to come here from those Title I schools. And again, that's going to be part of the actual auctions that take place at the Secret Garden Party on Friday, June 2nd. And again, that's going to be inside a local residence, right? It is. We always have it at a home. And so we celebrated our 35th anniversary last year. And also it was the 30th annual Secret Garden Party and Secret Garden Tour. So this year it's the 31st annual event. And it is our biggest fundraiser of the year. We, we use these much-needed funds because Discovery Center is a nonprofit. We use these funds for programming, exhibit improvements, staff salaries. So it's a very important event. And this year it's at the home of Susan and Judge Royce Taylor. They're a lovely couple who have supported Discovery Center since the very beginning. Um, So it'll be in their backyard, food by five senses, Um, We'll have a live and a silent auction with all kinds of great items that'll be featured. It it is adults only. And I'll let Candace talk more about the tour that's definitely, you know, more geared towards our families and for children. So at the Discovery Center, now that the COVID pandemic is behind us for the most part, have you seen a lot of schools starting to, to pick back up on field trips and all of those types of things? The pandemic was not easy on hands-on children's museums, but we are so lucky to have an amazing leader. Our president and CEO is Tara McDougall. She, from the very beginning, when we were just hearing about COVID, she was like, okay, we've got to have a plan in place for if we have to close down. And sure enough, we did. We, we had to close for three months. And I'll tell you, it is so loud at the Discovery Center now with all the children and families, and I will never take that for granted. I just love it because um, it was so quiet. We we did we had to transition to a lot of like online programming. Families would tune in. To, we'd have YouTube videos, you know, just any way to support parents as they were teaching their kids at home while kids were out of school. Um, and thankfully, we are finally back to our pre-COVID numbers. Uh, field trips have picked back up, um, but there for a few years, it, it was it was hard. We uh, launched a, a capital campaign to recoup some of the lost revenue from that. And our community, they supported us in every way they possibly could. We are here to stay. And, you know, when a lot of children's museums, they didn't open back up. So we, we were so incredibly lucky and we're just better than ever. And again, that was Lindsay Jennings and now headed to Candace Uris, the philanthropy coordinator for the Discovery Center. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the Secret Garden Tours. So the Secret Garden Tour is a wonderful part of our Secret Garden Weekend that includes families. The tour features six different intriguing public and private gardens ranging in size from multi-acre to innovative smaller plots just a great way for people in the community to get behind some of those gates and see people's wonderful gardens and um, how they're ta- utilizing their space and the beautiful environment around us again we're talking with Lindsay jennings and candace uris with the discovery center and about the upcoming discovery center's secret garden party and the secret garden tours and uh, as we close this morning let's go back and talk a little bit more about the Discovery Center itself and how it serves as really a learning institute for a lot of school children and has over the years, especially with field trips being back. Yes, actually, this year we served 12,553 students this past school year um, through our field trips, which is 
amazing. And what's great is they're not just coming from Rutherford County. They're coming from 22 different counties. Over the past year, Discovery Center educators have delivered 24,411 hours of program information to area school students. And the total number of kids, families, and educators from the community who visited Discovery Center in 2022, over 112,000. Another little interesting tidbit, 315 birthdays were celebrated at the Discovery Center just last year. You can learn more about the local Discovery Center online at explorethedc.org. And for WGNS News, I'm Scott Walker. We're broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios in downtown Murfreesboro. A groundbreaking was held on Monday for six new model homes that will give potential home buyers a glimpse into a new subdivision that's being built for those who are age 55 or older in Murfreesboro. Those usually take about eight, nine months. That was Susan Chapin with the Pulte Group who told WGNS that Southern Harmony, a new Dell Webb community, will be located on over 520 acres about one mile west of Veterans Parkway with active adults in mind. All of our model homes are single story, ranch style homes. And a target home buyer that is 55 plus years of age. They are all centered around, you know, the active adult lifestyle. Developers aim to build homes that come with less maintenance, which means you don't have to have a green thumb or even a lawnmower for that matter. The HOA takes care of your lawn and your landscaping. And throughout the community, there's also pocket parks which are maintained by the HOA as well. Potential residents may have a few questions, and one of those questions is likely focused on that 55-plus requirement. Chapin told WGNS News. At least one of the owners of the home or residents of the home has to be 55 or older, at least one. She elaborated that one spouse could be 55 while the other could be younger. Another question may revolve around children living in the 55-plus community. It is age-restricted, so children are allowed, of course, to visit and stay and enjoy the amenities, but they're not allowed to live there. A total of 1,111 homes will be built in Southern Harmony over the years to come. Homes ranging in size between 1,300 square feet to 3,000 square feet, along with unique touches and accents, will set one home apart from another, while overall design themes will bring everything together. A couple of questions from the mailbag in regards to this news story. When it comes to home prices, there will be lots of factors at play, from dishing out the dough for all the bells and whistles to holding your wallet tight. Chapin says it's too early in the game to announce exact figures, and here's why. The price range for the homes is yet to be determined. Over the last couple years, I am sure you've noticed material pricing has gone up and down and up and down. It's just too far out at this point pre-sales to know where the material pricing is going to be. What we do is usually announce that on our website a couple months prior to opening. When it comes to amenities, there is a long list in the making of things to do. Some of the highlights mentioned to WGNS included an indoor pool at the community clubhouse, an outdoor pool, walking trails, pickleball courts, an outdoor amphitheater, and even a lifestyle coordinator. If being active tickles your fancy and you like the idea of always having a nice and neat lawn, then you may not mind an HOA fee. The model homes that Cruz broke ground on this past Monday should be built and ready for open houses by the first half of 2024. For WGNS News, I'm Scott Walker. WGNS Murfreesboro.